Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. This week, we continue our journey through Game Changer. It's a term that you often hear associated with sports, but it really applies to everything or anything. So enjoy, and let's get to it. God is good, and all the time, He is so merciful, and he, his, his mercy endures forever. I'm excited about being here. I'm trying to look out into the audience. I did invite some people, and I don't see them. Oh, I do see them. They're way in the back, and they're waving at me, and I just want to... Now, they're by way of um, transplants from New Orleans, and uh, but they're here, and they decided to come and hear me. And they're in the back. I'll just ask them to wave their hand, came out to support me. If you'll turn around, they're way in the back. And I appreciate them being here. I really do. So... This morning, if you were here, I started a story about a young lady who survived a plane crash back in December of 1971. And so I'll just try to give a little recap of what she went through for some of you who weren't here. But in that plane crash, she survived it. And I believe she survived it because the three-seater that she was on propelled her down to earth, propelled her. She was 9,200 feet in the air from what I read. And she later on, when she, after her 11 day journey, when she finally made it to her father, she was able to articulate to the searchers where the plane had landed. And so they went out to find and see if anyone else had lived. They found out, though, that there were seven people who did survive the crash, seven other people. But from their, uh, their injuries and no one coming around sooner, they found out also that they had died. And so this one lone person, one alone, I offer to you today that if you're the only one out there doing what it is that God has commissioned us to do, you would be saved alone. But all of us should have the light in us that I talked about earlier in Isaiah 61. We should be out there witnessing to the goodness of God and telling how what God has done for us. So as we move into this hour sermon, the call to arise and shine, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Father, thank you. Thank you for waking us up this morning and starting us out on our way. We ask, Lord, that everyone in the sound of my voice, Lord, is touched by your message. And Lord, when you're seen coming in the clouds, and everyone here in the sound of my voice is able to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. He's come to save us. 
Turn with me to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 is the text that has been read today. And it's verses 1, 2, and 3. And earlier, the earlier worship service, we dealt with uh, verse 1, where it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And I pointed out three things during that service, and I'm going to recap on them right now if I can. One was a, a beacon of hope. A beacon of hope. We're to be a beacon of hope in this world. Which is to say that while we're, we're supposed to be something that holds promise of hope. Something that holds a promise of hope. The hope of the second coming. And are we able to illuminate that light that he has put in us to let others know that there is a hope out there? There's an expectation. There is an anticipation. And then the second point I made was a lighthouse, a tower or other structure containing a beacon light to warn or guide. You heard about it a little bit in the children's story a little while ago. While we are illuminated with the light of Jesus, we are to be pointing others or horning in on others who are looking, are looking for something or someone. We're supposed to be an inspiration, a, a motivator, a stimulus, if you will. And then the last, the last suggestion I had for those three things was passing the torch. And I didn't finish that because it's relinquishing responsibility or passing the knowledge to another, the little ones that we have in the church. Letting them know what their responsibility is as it relates to Jesus Christ. So today, our scripture points out that light is a symbol of God's presence. But, but our writer says this in here, says Ellen White defines that call using the imagery of arise and shine in a powerful message. If ever there was a time in the history of Seventh-day Adventists when they should arise and shine, it is now. No voice should be restrained from proclaiming the third angel's message, and this proclamation is a part of our service to the world. Let none for fear of losing prestige with the world obscure one ray of light coming from the source of all light. It requires moral courage to do the work of God for these last days. But let us not be led by the spirit of human wisdom. The truth should be everything to us. Let those who want to make a name with the world go with the world. That's from Christ's triumph. Arise and shine for your light has come, says the prophet. Of course, we studied earlier that arise means to become apparent, to be present, to turn up, as I said earlier. As you are there speaking on God's behalf, your light should be shining for others to see it. However, in the midst of such a progress in the knowledge and communication, there is a darkness that is repulsive and frightening. 
a darkness that cuts across nationality, age, education, culture, and profession, a darkness that challenges the humanity of each one of us and diminishes the spirituality of all of us, particularly those of us who have taken the name Christian because we are the ones who the first thing they say to us is, and you call yourself a Christian as soon as you do something that is considered out of order. You have been called, it says, what is this darkness I'm talking about? Take a look at the world around you. Do we not have, right in the White House, do we not have some issues that are going down that plague us? If you're not looking at, the, at what's going on, tune in every once in a while because sometimes it's just too hard. Do you not see how hatred is becoming a real reality now? Darkness, evil, it's all around us. And if we are not prayerful, if we are not allowing that illumination of light, the presence of God, to dispel that, then why are we here? As I said earlier, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's always about Jesus Christ. As a woman and as one involved in women's ministry, let me suggest to you that as long as one in three women continues to experience some kind of abuse in her life, darkness is in the world. When children are being abused, darkness is in the world. It also says that as long as women are subjected to genital mutilation, childhood marriages, uh, oppression, rape, it's not just women that are going through some of these things. It's, it's, it affects all of us, or it should affect all of us. Yet there is darkness. And the word says in number two, it says, verse two, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness, the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Are we wearing that well? Are we out there witnessing to the glory of God? Do we realize that when we walk out the door, his presence is with us? says gross darkness, defiling darkness, and defying darkness. To us living in that world of darkness, the darkness outside, the darkness inside, and to us who want to minister to our daughters and sisters, to mothers and wives, come Isaiah's call. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Your light has come. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and the deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Praise the Lord that he has prepared a way for us in this dark, dark world. There was a time of darkness for me and you all probably will remember Katrina, the stuff that happened to us in 2005. And that's been a long time ago. 
But if you rode through New Orleans today, you would still see remnants of Katrina, where you've lost everything. Have you ever lost everything you've owned? Except for the things that they tell you, get out, bring what you can. But I kept saying to myself, why isn't this bothering me? We lost our home. We lost the car we left back there. We lost all of our clothes. And yes, there are times that I go back and say, oh, I have a green dress. Oh, I don't have a green dress. We lost everything. But I'm here to tell you that God is into restoring. I'm here to tell you that he will restore you. And so even amongst this darkness, his light still shines. But a lot of times when we are dealing with our darkness, we do forget that we have a mighty God and a mighty God we serve. That's the enemy. The enemy who attacks. The one who wants to bring you down. The one who has you depressed. The one who has your marriage all messed up, that's not here, that's just in New Orleans. The one who has your children acting crazy, that's not here. The one who, where your boss is, you don't know what's happening with them, but that's only in New Orleans, not here. Isaiah is addressing a nation that will go into the darkness of Babylon's bondage for some 120 years after the prophet's ministry. He knows that Israel has suffered many a dark period in past, such as the Egyptian bondage and the Assyrian assaults. To a people so used to living in the fear of darkness, to a people who seem to have lost all hope, the prophet predicts freedom from fear, Hope in the midst of despair, that's what Jesus' presence does for us. When you are going through, but God. When you are depressed, but God. When your children are acting up, but God. See, the but comes in and whatever happened before, it doesn't matter anymore because God is on the other side of that. And so anything you're going through, always come behind it and say, but God. I lost my job, but God. I lost my apartment, but God. I lost my spouse, but God. Darkness shall come, but it need not envelop you forever. The night of hopelessness must give way to the bright and glorious dawn of sunrise. The promise and the challenge of God is a simple one. Arise and shine. Arise, come out of fear. Let darkness of abuse flee. Shine in the glory of the light that comes from God and him alone. Only he can dispel that darkness. It is so easy for us to ignore what Isaiah says, yet if we want to weather the storms ahead of us, to face the moral, social, and cultural threats that overwhelm us, we must learn to allow God's word to speak to us. But it's just not going to jump out the page and come in. 
You have to spend some time with him. You have to understand what, where he's going and what's happening. There's some good stuff in the word of God if you haven't read it. There's some real good stuff in there. And there's some stuff in there about you. Your good attitudes, your bad attitudes. But again, that's just in New Orleans. It is so easy. So what does Isaiah say? First, he says a clear message. God himself is the light. The psalmist has already given us that assurance. In Psalms 27, 1, it says, The Lord is my light. Whom shall I fear? But Israel, as often happens with all of us, was mistaken in its own strength. Have you ever thought that it was okay to not go to God first and then take it upon yourself and say, I'm going to do it, and then later on go back to God and say, look, I made a mistake. Can you help me out? And they saw within itself a light that seemed sufficient for the journey ahead. Don't mistake your light for his light. Don't ever mistake your light for his light. Because his light is everlasting. And yours is going to dim out like a candle does eventually when it burns out. It is so these imprisoned people, people in self-made change, that the promise from the word of God comes, arise from your self-delusion and look yonder. There is the Lord, your light. With that light in your hand and in your heart, arise and shine. When Israel shines that light, God's light, the nations around will come to experience the brightness of your rising. The brilliance of the dawn, the radiance of a new day that comes upon you. But that new day is one of self-glory. It is a mighty event of global witness. God not only liberates Israel from the darkness of bondage, he makes Israel a medium of light. This is the means of letting nations know that God, who himself is light, will banish every form of darkness and let his light shine brightly. His light will confront all human darkness, depression, abuse, arguments, uh, loss of a job. You ever think about it? when you're going through some things? Do you think that's where you should be at the time? Like yesterday, I get to the airport two hours ahead of time, I'm all excited, I'm gonna get on this plane, I'm good to go, and I get there and I see, I check the marquee and it says that you're leaving at 5.50 and all is well with my soul. Come on, let's get it over with because I don't wanna fly. I get, it, get there and all of a sudden, I see something that says, Delayed. But generally when something like that happens to us, what do we do? Why does it have to happen to me? Why is it going down like this? Delayed for an hour while I'm sitting there. Never once did I think maybe there was a delay because God knew what was going to happen ahead of time. When there is something that we are going through or maybe there's a lesson that I need to learn. Did I handle myself well when I was waiting? 
Was I frustrated? Did I take it out on anybody? I'll never tell y'all. <laughs> what I will tell you is, it's still not about us. It's about him. So it says here, if we know we are called to be the light, if we know we are called to be the light, let me point out four ways God chooses to call. God calls the least, the least of them. One author puts it this way, says, if you remember the story of Gideon who was hiding in a wine press, trying to dress out some barley so that the starving Israelites could eat, he would be the least you would ever consider to command a force against a powerfully dominant enemy. Thousands he had, and all Gideon had was 300. And they weren't warriors. Go back and read the story, but guess what? God chose up lowly, young, he chose him, and they won. But it was the least, Gideon was the least. But God also chose the young, lowly, humble shepherd boy to be the second king of Israel in David. So you may think that when we are choosing, it's not about our choosing, it's about who God chooses. Second, God equips the call. Have you heard this before? God never calls the equip. He equips the call. So in other words, if he calls you, he's taking care of you being able to handle whatever it is he needs you to do. But most times we are like, oh no, this is not me. I know a lot of times I'm like Moses. I, 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 I can't, 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 can't do, do, do that. And why are you calling me, Lord? But God calls, God equips the call. And then God rejects the proud. If someone feels that they're already equipped to do a ministry and need no assistance from God, they may not be called in the first place. Then God looks at the heart. Because only God knows the heart. And only he knows who will be able to do this and how they're going to do it. So there's four ways. If we know we are called, we will choose to let that light shine if, if we are the least, if we are equipped, if we're not proud, and because of our heart service. But what does it mean for us to be God's light in the world? And how does that light of Jesus shine through us? The light of Jesus shines through our recognition that all human beings are created in God's image. And all of us are children of God. As I said earlier, I may have said it in Sabbath school, none of us, our God does not have grandchildren. He only has children. As members of his family, we must recognize the oneness of the entire human spectrum. So, including, there is no isms in God's family. And then number two, the light of Jesus shines through our acts of love and grace. As the called ones of the Lord, we are the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. 
Given that context, Jesus designates us as his light, reflecting the radiance that streams from him. He calls us to a life of meekness. He bids us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice. He expects us to reflect him through our mercy, our purity of heart, our quick efforts to reconcile with adversaries. These are obedient works, reflecting the light of Jesus that shines through us into the darkness surrounding us. We, there is somebody out there who needs a ray of hope. There's somebody out there who's watching you and what you're doing who may come up to you and say, you know, there's something peculiar about you. But there's also someone out there who's watching you and you may not be doing what's peculiar. Number three, the light of Jesus shines through us when we produce the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians, it says, love in a world of hate, we're producing. Joy in times of sorrow, peace in times of conflict. Patience in the face of irritation, kindness when life is so rough. Goodness that overcomes evil and faithness that dis faithfulness that dispels dishonesty. Gentleness in a terrain of roughness and self-control in a world of selfishness. Second, Isaiah points out to the holistic nature of the light that the to the of the light that shines upon us. When the light of God dispels the darkness of our hearts, it brings about a total transformation of life. Have you given it all over to Him? Or are you still doing what you do? Have you, have you turned it all over to Him? Have you allowed Him to do that surgery on your heart. Our spirit is transformed by the spirit of God. Our mind is free from the shackles of sin and darkness. Our body comes under the renovating power of the spirit. Our passions ascend from the abyss of darkness to embrace the pure and sanctified life God has set for us. And our relationships are no longer defined by the benefits that may derive from them, but by the transforming warm-heartedness of God's light. The Holy Spirit takes control of the heart, the spirit, the mind, and the character. The character of Christ that he gives us to put on display. All of this happens to deal with the light of his presence. And third, Isaiah urges a life of service. I like to refer to that as a servant leader, one who is able to lead and, and, and serve as well, not you do this and you do that and you get this and you get that, mm -mm -mm. because Jesus got his hands dirty also. Isaiah urges, he says, the idea of light is often understood as something distinctively glorious appearing in great powerful demonstration. But the prophet teaches us that true light appears in service. When we are serving others, when we are doing for others, when we are helping others, the light shines brighter and brighter. 
As I pointed out earlier, when they light the Olympic with the torch and they light the Olympic, I guess it's the Olympic light, I don't know what to call it, I'm sorry. It continues to burn the entire time of the Olympic Games. See, this is what the light is that's in you, by, that's been put in you by Jesus Christ. That light is supposed to illuminate the entire time until the Lord decides that it's no more for you on this earth. It's not a time when we can pick it up and lay it down and pick it up and lay it down and pick it up. No. You are walking in his ways. You are talking his talk. So you cannot just lay it down anytime. Service is a profound and frequent theme in scripture. Isaiah already anticipated it in chapters 42 and 53 that the Messiah would come as a servant with an outward splendor. His appearance would be like the least of those around. Yet hidden in that normality was the true power of Christ, the power of love, the power of humility, and the power of self-sacrificing service. I have friends who, who do some things and we used to go out and, and I still have friends who do this, go out and feed the homeless. On their own dime, they're doing it. They go out and they feed the homeless and there's so many lives, if you've never been out there before. I met some uh, cousins who were out there and I never knew about this, but have you seen a movie before where you've seen people jump on a train and ride it and they're not supposed to be on there, but they're stowaways? Well, I talked to these cousins and they came from somewhere else, I can't remember, but they told me how they got down here was they hitched a train and came down to New Orleans because they both lost their jobs and they were looking for money, to make money. We were a light to them because we fed them breakfast. We were a light to them because we went back out there and brought them taller trees. We were a light to them. But the light was only shining because we allowed God to use us. Jesus lived among the poor. He worked among the downtrodden and rejected. He lifted and afflicted and he lifted and afflicted and the abuse, lifted and afflicted the abuse, and finally died on the cross. The most glorious manifestation of divine power was demonstrated with no outward form of glory. The greatest manifestation of power and glory was revealed in darkness and ugliness. This is why the gospel was foolishness to the Greeks, scandalous to the Jews, and a joke to the Romans. None of them could understand the meaning of the servanthood of Jesus, nor could they comprehend the redemptive grace that flows from the cross. The true light of Jesus appears in service. Fourth, Isaiah Message challenges us to the light that shines through darkness that dispels darkness. Jesus charges us, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul reminds us, 
For you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. This is our calling, and we must discover ways to live out the call as his community of disciples. The commission, we are commissioned by Jesus to illuminate the darkness. Let your light so shine. And to expose evil, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, as Ephesians 8.11 says. Clearly, our task is to carry our lamps into the shadowy corners of the world and to brighten the corners exposing darkness. It's hard. I know it is. But God knew that you can do this task. It's just about showing up. It only takes a spark, as the song says. It only takes a spark. So the challenge for us women is to make time to make a difference. What small difference can we make? What spark might we kindle that will ignite God's light to shine through the darkness in which our daughters, sisters, and wives are subject to live? What is the task today of those involved in women's ministry? Well, there's six challenges, issues, of Adventist women in the ministry. Abuse and violence is something. We have poverty. There's threats of help. There's a workload, education, illiteracy. To confront these challenges, to arise and shine in the midst of this darkness that afflicts women, to open wide the vista of a new world in Jesus, to free our homes, church, workplace, and community of abuse, this is the task and responsibility of every Adventist today. We are the light of the world. We will dim that light, even obscure, obscure the light when we indulge in pride, jealousy, strife, abuse, immorality. We are called to go far and wide to shine in the dark places. Each one of us, each one of us, individually reflects the glory of God when that light is in us. The other day, I was on my way to work, and in going to work, it was pouring down raining. It was pouring down raining, and so I was able to get one, uh, I was able to get my son to work, but I, when I got to work, I had went through so much water that I thought I can do this task also. And so I made a right turn and I turned down and the next thing I know, water was rolling on top of the car. I was deep in it and I was like, Lord, if you just get me to the garage, please get me to the garage. I got to the garage and the car shut off. I said, Lord, please, I'm sorry, and I want to add to that, can you get me up the hill and in the garage? It was a dark day for me, because while I was sitting there on the phone speaking with the uh, tow truck driver, water started filling up in my car. The tow truck driver said, get out, get out. He said, get out, don't stay, get out. 
And I looked around and I seen some boots in my car, my uh, rain boots, and I grabbed them and I got out because when I stepped down, I stepped into so much water, water went inside the boots. I only had a year left to pay on my car. I had been counting down. I loved my car, guys, loved it. It was a Chrysler town and country that the Lord had blessed me with. I was excited. It had a DVD in it. It had a backup cam, and it had a CD player in it and everything. And God had blessed me with this car. And I went down the wrong street. I said all that to say this, that even in the midst of my darkness, God was still with me. He was still with me. He was still carrying me through no matter what. Now I'll tell you this, I no longer have that car, but I also no longer have the car note. God cut that off a year in advance. And I was like, okay, God, what are you doing? He's doing stuff in your life. He's handling things in your life. And when you think that God has left or you think that God is not working, he is working. He said he's there. He's a presence in you. He is the light that is in you. We need to remember that. Why every head is bowed and every eye is closed. The young lady on the plane ride, she made it out of there. Her mother didn't make it out. And the other 85 didn't make it out. But she was by herself. And I believe and want to tell you today that Jesus died on the cross for just one. But there is no need that we should not make it in. The light is in you. Let the light so shine that others may see it and dispel the darkness around you. Father, we're so excited about the light that you've given us. We want to thank you for the light, Lord, that illuminates, Lord. And I pray that everybody in the sound of my voice, Lord, is allowing you to use them in your service that they are out touching lives and touching others. There may be someone here, Lord, who's depressed. There may be someone here, Lord, who's downtrodden. There may be someone here who lost their job. There may be someone here who's going through a bad relationship. Lord, I'm asking that you bring them out of that darkness, that they realize that you are with them and have never left them. Lord, let them seek the help that they need from you, Lord. Continue to bless and keep us. Continue to guide and lead us. And when you're seen coming in the clouds, may everyone in the sound of my voice be able to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. He's come to save us. And may they all remember to arise and shine. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. Next week, we'll continue our journey through Game Changers. So bring a friend, listen, have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.